We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Puts it in the deck down to four seconds. Hunter in the corner. Ivy for the win. Bonner back to Sohan. Timberlake up ahead to Durant. Look out. Oh, wow. And a foul. Washington wheeling. Dealing. Got it. They leave it for Jones. Blocked by Kendall Brown. My goodness. Roach into the paint. Big carry the finish. Aldridge's going to bring it all the way oh, my down. <laughs> the easy one. Giving it up. Murray back the other way. Murray, the two-hand jam, and the foul. Stopping a 6-0 Nebraska run. Jabari Smith count it! Welcome into the March Madness preview here on Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Today I'm going to be joined by Mark Schindler and Derek Murray to break down the West and East region of the NCAA 68-team tournament bracket here, and we're going to look at some of the top prospects in this upcoming tournament that could be available in the upcoming NBA draft. So I hope you guys enjoy today's show. Uh, going to start things off with Mark Schindler from the West region, and then we're going to go to Derek Murray with the East region. So I hope you guys thoroughly enjoy these conversations, hope you guys get a little bit more acclimated with some of these prospects the Pacers could potentially have their eyes on. But if you're not a Pacer fan and you're checking this out, obviously this will apply to anybody who has a pick. So Really appreciate you all for listening. If you haven't already and you're listening to this show, leave us a five-star rating and review. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with Mark Schindler for the West Region. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody. You guys know this voice very well if you're a Pacers fan. It's the one and only Mark Schindler joining me today to talk about the West region of our March Madness preview. Mark, thanks so much for joining me. How you doing, man? Alex, I'm really good, man. Uh, life is good. It's been it's been super busy, but it's it was actually pretty <laughs> nice out today. Um, got to take my dog on a few walks, and I wasn't completely freezing. So, uh, as as we know in the Midwest, it's a, it's a pretty good sign for March 14th. Yeah, my aunt just last week sent me a picture of all this snow that uh, Ohio had gotten, and I think it was like three to six inches. And I was like, dang, I was like, uh, I'm I'm over the snow at this point. Uh, but it, it, too, is a nice time here in Indianapolis. Beautiful weather today on Monday. But uh, we're talking about the West region, and this has the number one overall seed in it. It is the Gonzaga Bulldogs with potentially the number one pick, Chet Holmgren. So, honestly, we, we've got some powerhouse teams in here. Uh, Duke is probably the second biggest one here in this as they're the number two seed. Uh, let's just get right into it here. So what did you think about this collective group of teams and uh, maybe just what you're looking forward to seeing the most? Yeah, I mean, I, I like how this bracket shook out. I think some people were a little bit uh, confused by Memphis Memphis's seeding, and I, I can I can understand it to a degree. I'm probably not as high as others have been. Like uh, ever since Imani Bates went down with with a back injury earlier in the year, they've really clicked. And I, I just to be clear, I don't think it's just because Imani went down. Like things just really got figured out roster wise for them. And uh, I mean, most importantly, Jalen Duran has been on an absolute tear in conference play, even in the conference tournament headed into this. So this Memphis team looks a lot more dangerous than a regular nine seed. Um, so I think that's one of the immediate things that I'm most interested to see is, you know, if a, I mean, Memphis has to get through Boise state first, which is a solid team, but you know, seeing what a Duran chat matchup could look like, and they're not going to play necessarily directly on one another, but um, it's a really interesting task for both guys. And, and one of the uh, looking at guys who I would have both as top 10 prospects right now, um, that will be a really exciting matchup if it does happen. Yeah, no, that's definitely one that I think fans would be interested in. I think Jalen Duran's kind of been a guy that's a little bit under the radar. You know, you don't really hear him around the top five, top six, but some guys do have him there. I've seen him, like you said, more towards the bottom half of the of the top 10. And, you know, I, I don't know much about his game. I haven't watched a ton of Memphis this year, so. Uh, what do you like about him, and do you think he'd be a good fit uh, for the Pacers, number one, and then just what do, what do you like about him as a prospect? Yeah, this is one where you definitely have to do some uh, some mental math, like trying to figure out where he makes sense on the Pacers. Yeah. Um, I probably will write something about him on any corner soon because he's just a really intriguing prospect to me. And like you mentioned, I think he's been a little bit too under the radar. Um, he's the youngest freshman in in the draft, if I remember correctly, or who will be in the draft. Mm -hmm. um, like he reclassed, he was supposed to be a 2023 player, but he's in 2022. He was the number one player in 2023. Um, actually started off number one on a lot of boards this year. And obviously Memphis was just kind of a, tr a, a train, a roller coaster ride throughout most of the year. But um, I mean, he's six, nine, but he has, I believe a seven, four, seven, five wingspan right around there, which is like nuts. Um, so he plays a lot larger than his size. He's got ridiculous functional strength. Um, you know, he's the, I think the, the biggest sell for him is just defensively. Like he, to me, other than Chet and part of it, like we'll talk about Chet, but like Jalen Duran is the best defensive prospect in the draft to me outside of, of Chet Holmgren. Like I think mm. 
if Jalen, if things go right for him, if, if he develops properly, like he could be a perennial all defense guy. Like, I think he's got that capability. Um, he shows some ability to be not, I, I wouldn't necessarily say switchy, but like he's somebody who could be coverage versatile. They've experimented a little bit with having him play co- closer to the level of screen, uh, kind of like we've seen with Miles Turner this year and same thing with Isaiah Jackson. Um, I don't think he has that same kind of quick twitch that Isaiah does, but he has really, really good feet for his size. And more importantly, just his reaction time and his ability to make plays that like very few people in basketball, like any level can make. Like he, he, I mean, some of the blocks that he's had this year, just coming in, making a rotation from, you know, like he'll be out in the slot because of how the offense gets run. And then he's, you know, coming in from 15 feet away to block a shot at the rim. He's a very special defensive prospect. And that's something the Pacers desperately need to improve upon is their defense. So I could see why that makes sense, especially if they decide to move on from Miles Turner long term. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll see what the Pacers do with that. But uh, speaking of Gonzaga, the number one seed here, Chet Holmgren, there's been a lot of back and forth on, you know, his his frame. And I know that a lot of people get frustrated hearing that uh, that argument that, oh, he's too thin. He sh-, you know, he can't be the first overall pick. But if you watch him play, he has a lot of great skill sets. So can you just kind of break down Chet Holmgren and why you think he potentially could be the number one pick in the draft? Yeah, I mean, I think he is the best defensive prospect in the draft to mm-hmm. me. Um, like, he doesn't have the same kind of uh, – Excuse me. He doesn't have the same kind of ground coverage that Evan Mobley had. Like he's, um, some people have called him slow. I wouldn't agree with that. I mean, he's seven feet tall. I think he moves pretty well for his size. Um, he, but I mean, like Evan Mobley's just like what he can do in terms of covering ground at, at his size is ridiculous. What Chet is more about is his ability um, to time things as a shot blocker, and more importantly, just to make proper rotations and be in the right place. Like his verticality is really good. Um, his defensive feel, which. I think it's interesting. Often, like, we'll just hear, like, feel all around. I think that guys can have feel, like, different levels of feel on the court for on either side. And I think, again, we've seen that with someone like Miles Turner, who has awesome defensive feel. It's taken him a while to come around offensively to a degree. Um, Chet is just, like, I mean, he – I think one of the best examples was they played Texas Tech early this year, right, right at the end of their non-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. And they tried to run a lot through their – Texas Tech tried to run a lot through their five, pull Chet out of the paint um, and get him up t- towards the top of the free throw line. And, like, after the first time it happened, I mean, he starts making plays, you know, rotating again back door. Um, you know, like he intercepts a few passes uh, that try and get triggered from the high post. I mean, he was just all over it. I mean, he's a guy who I think is going to have real versatility in what he can do on court. He's going to be able to be a primary rim protector in time. But to me, he's more like I want to see him playing as as a four roaming kind of like we've seen, mm-hmm. like, you know, Anthony Davis when uh, when they have been capable of starting a center next to him. His best qualities are what he can do really just destroying an offense <laughs> playing yeah. off the ball. And then offensively, he's no slouch either. Like his shot has really come along. Um, he's got a good handle for his size. Uh, he's a good, good passer. Um, we haven't really gotten to see him use much as a role man um, out of pick and roll because Gonzaga is pretty low pick and roll frequency team. But I think that's definitely an avenue for him. He's got an incredible touch around the rim. I think he's shooting around 75% at the rim, which is – wow. Pretty good, yeah. So his, yeah, his touch is very good. He's just capable of shooting over just about anybody. Um, but I mean, he's a, he is a special, special prospect. Yeah, no, I, I mean Gonzaga, they're they're a really tough team, and I actually have them winning it all right now in my bracket, just because I feel like us. I just feel like you know what they have, the experience they have too. I like their head coach as well. It's just you know they have the full package, but it seemed 
that I think there's going to be some sentimental value here because Coach K, this being his last year for a lot of fans, uh, Duke. And, and they've got two guys that are projected to be in the top five, top six, Paula Boncaro and uh, A.J. Griffin here for, for Duke. So can you talk about this team a little bit and what you like about those two prospects? Yeah. Um, so I am not as high on on Duke uh, just in terms of like their actual tournament ability. I have real questions about their defense um, and their offense, too. But yeah. I mean, they have immense, immense talent. I mean, like even then you have like Wendell Moore, who's going to be a potential lottery pick. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Williams, potential lottery pick. I don't think I would have either quite slated there, but I, I've seen it, you know, pretty recently. Guys put him up there. Um they have, I mean, they they are arguably the most talented team in this bracket and in the entire NCAA, if we're being honest. But, um, I mean, Paolo is, he's really interesting because his season has been a little bit wonky. Like, uh, his he, he was really known as as more of a, a playmaker, somebody with really high feel who was just a, a fantastic playmaker in the half court. And, um what he really showed more was his face-up scoring and isolation ability earlier in the year, which isn't a bad thing. It was just kind of what was, it was unexpected to a degree. Um, but his passing has really come along, you know, as he's gotten like, and it's worth noting too for all of these guys. Um, AAU got totally thrown out of whack, um, and just youth basketball in general. So Paolo, I don't think played a senior season if I remember correctly. So everything he was doing was strictly, you know, just gym workouts, getting mm-hmm. to do like you know, court runs and stuff like that. So it's not really like getting the same stuff. Everything is is different developmentally with this class. Um, he has shown the ability to just be an, a, a, an extremely talented face-up for who has some primary upside, like who can really handle, um, who can create out of the pick and roll. Like even like, I mean, we saw him running four or five pick and roll throughout the year, um, capable of facing up, taking off the dribble threes, um, getting to the rim. Uh, he, if you're looking in terms of just somebody who has a complete offensive package that can um, create at the NBA level, he is the guy in this class. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's transition here just a little bit because there's a play-in game between Rutgers and Notre Dame, and I know there was some controversy around Notre Dame getting this play-in tournament game here against Rutgers. Um, I know Rutgers has had some big wins this year, um, but, but Blake Wesley, a, a guy from Notre Dame that – I've seen kind of all over the map in terms of where he's projected to land. What do you like about his game? And do you think um, he's a, a lottery pick? Uh, yeah, he's definitely someone who's been all over the board. Like he had, a, like you mentioned, much like Notre Dame, just kind of a an all over the place season. Um, he's weird because he's six five, so he like I mean, just where he is with his body type and how he's just a player. He's pretty strictly a two. Like he's not necessarily a combo guard because I don't think that he has the playmaking skills to really play the one, like he shows some pretty quality um, passes and reads out of pick and roll, but just in terms of making like open court plays or um, doing something, if he get like, if he sees ball pressure, it's, it's not a guaranteed turnover, but good things are not usually happening if he gets pressured. Um, he's not somebody who you're going to really expect to carry your offense. A lot's going to rely on where his shots at his footwork is super inconsistent right now. The release seems a little bit inconsistent, um, it, I mean, it's worth noting too. He's very young, so it, it, he has time to come along. But what really is the big sell for him right now is like much like we kind of saw with Malcolm Brogdon and Pastors. Obviously, they're not the same player, but he is a fantastic downhill driver. Like he is so good at getting to the paint. And a lot's going to be can he develop a floater? Which easier said than done. But I think if a team is really able to buy into that, there's a lot there um, mm-hmm. because of just again like the ability to get get collapse the defense and get downhill is tremendous. 
The problem is he's not really a vertical athlete. Like I, I'd have to check up how many dunks he had. I think he had less than 10 dunks this year, um, which is a pretty low number. Um, but he's, I mean, he's had some issues with getting smothered at the rim against really good rim protectors, a lot of length. Um, but he is still a very intriguing prospect to me. Like if, if, if things can hit right for him, he has the capability to become a really tremendous scorer with some secondary playmaking ability. Um, and I like his defense quite a bit too, with where he's at right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I haven't been able to watch a lot of college basketball because I've been watching a lot of Pacers and, and doing a lot of Pacers coverage. So, you know, it's just trying to find time to watch all these, all these teams is very difficult. And obviously, you know, not everybody can, but looking at this bracket overall, um, are there any players that we haven't hit on that you'd like to talk about? Um, I mean, AJ Griffin is fantastic. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't hit on him because I went really long on Powell, but <laughs> AJ, AJ Griffin's one, like just a tremendous, tremendous shooter, like not just a shooter, but to me, he's like semi akin to TJ Warren, like in somebody who I think is ideally, you know, doing a lot of stuff coming off screens. Um, he just has incredible touch on the ball. Um, he looks like, I mean, he's built like a Mack truck, um, mm-hmm. but he does have a lot of wonkiness with injury history. Um, he's missed parts of the last two seasons, if I remember correctly. Um, but in terms of looking at somebody who just is a real, like a, a wing with size and real upside to become, you know, one of the best scorers in this draft, um, he is that, he, I mean, he's he's a tremendous prospect, especially considering how things came on for him. Like he was barely playing to start the year. And then, uh, I mean, coming back from injury, and then he ends up in the starting lineup and continued to look really good. Um the playmaking is going to be a work in progress. I'm not really sure what to think of what the upside is there, or where he's at with his handle, but um, really, really interesting prospect. I want, to, I want to talk a little bit more about him because I'm curious where you have him at on your big board. If you have a big board, I don't know if you do or not, but um, for me, I have him fifth. I think he's probably out of that top four that we hear about all the time. I feel like he is the next best available player. And I think you can make the argument that maybe he's top four. I don't know, but I, I really have liked this game. And you talked about, just how he's built. Like I, I know that the shooting wise, Jimmy Butler is not the same player, but I do think build wise, I can kind of see some similarities there to how they're built. So uh, maybe just elaborate on what I just said there and, and give me your, uh, your ranking for where you have him at. Yeah. So I have him five right now. Okay. Um, I think it, that, that one's I'm, I'm, I'm workshopping that one. I'm not entirely sure where I'm at. Uh, it's going to depend on, on whether or not Shaden Sharp declares. Um, but right now, yes, I would have him fifth. Um, I don't know about Jimmy Butler because it's hard because with I mean like I understand where you're coming from like with with the with where he's at body wise but Jimmy also had like a tremendous growth in what he can do as a downhill driver I don't think AJ quite has that burst and ability mm-hmm. to get downhill like that um, a lot is you know based on what he can do as a pull up artist like he has some of the best footwork out of isolation um, of anybody in the league which is a lot of why I see kind of him as more of like a TJ Warren type. Um, but he comes in with way better shooting profile from mm-hmm. than TJ does. Um, not to belittle TJ, but just in terms of like that same type of um, same same type of scoring package to a degree. So I think that's more where I see him. No, and that makes sense. You know, TJ obviously didn't come into the league as a three point shooter. He developed that over time. So, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting prospects in this uh, region right here. So I, I don't know if you like to rank things or not, but maybe just rank the top five if you don't mind in terms of overall players and um how since you're a Pacers podcaster I have to throw this out there um how you like how you would like their fit on the Pacers if they were to be able to to get them in the draft yeah I mean to me out of this 
area. I mean, like if if they were able to get Chet, I, I think Chet is just a shoe in for the number one pick, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Like I think, um, you know, obviously it's it's different because they have Miles, but I think Chet is like that good of a prospect where you just do it, um, especially with where they're at right now. Um, Paolo would be second for me, and I do think you could toy with having him. You know, if they did have the number one pick, potentially taking Paolo there. I don't think that. You know, it's necessarily a decided one way or another. Like to me, Powell is like the kind of guy that they just have never had. Like um, right. having somebody who has the capability to be a positive on both ends while also leading the the offense. Like, I mean, the idea of him playing alongside Halbert is pretty, pretty damn tantalizing to mm-hmm. me. But then, um, I mean, next would be AJ Griffin for me and then Jalen Duren. Um, and then I th- think in terms of next of my intrigue, I don't know if I would have him ahead of, of Wendell Moore and, and Mark Williams, but people that I, I mean, a guy that I would have on the, uh, you know, in terms of entry for the Pacers would be Max Christie in Michigan State. Um, okay. He had a kind of slow acclimation period to, to get, get into the NCAA basketball. And then he has really popped since then. Uh, 6'6, more of a, he's a 2'3, but he's really more of a 2 right now with where he's at size wise. But, Profiles is a really good shooter, has some interesting defensive tools. He's not a super athlete, but um, just a, like a pretty good uh, – like a, a good all-around wing with feel, um, mm-hmm. which is what you like to see in the draft, especially as, as you get later on. He'll probably be somebody who goes more around 30, but um, definitely somebody to keep your eye on. Well, and the Pacers do have that second-round pick that could be, mm-hmm. you know, very intriguing for a player like that. And I know there's a lot of different scenarios we could throw out there with the Pacers uh, in, in terms of how they go about – approaching this draft you know they're where they're slated at now fifth there i think their best overall odds are like to get the sixth or the seventh pick so it's just kind of weird how it works but i think if this pacers team were to get lucky and get into the top four it could be franchise altering so um do you think the biggest position the pacers really need to address is that forward position like you mentioned there with uh paulo Boncaro? because obviously you know indiana there's a lot of fans that are all in on the Jaden ivy train and while I think it could be intriguing, I think he could be a special player. I don't know if it's the most perfect fit for this team moving forward and trying to really build something in terms of uh, of trying to get back into the playoffs and be a playoff contender. Well, I mean, I think fit does matter more than, than people want to give it credit for. And, you know, it's always, you know, fit versus best pick available. And I think, you know, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. Like what can the Pacers ideally develop? What is, you know, what is their vision of the roster? I think to me, like, I'm very intrigued by the – if somebody who's not in this bracket, but, like, Tar Eason from LSU, like a 3-4, mm-hmm. somebody who can really help solidify the defense and potentially come along to be more on ball on offense. Like, that is, I think, the ideal player that this team is looking for. But also adding somebody like Jaden Ivey, I really like him because we've already seen in, in the early games with Tyrese – um, some of his issues in terms of actually, you know, being aggressive with his shot and, and getting downhill. I think yeah. adding somebody like Ivy, who to me, um, it's not a perfect comp, but he's a lot – to me, he is a lot like Victor Oladipo in terms yeah. of his athletic profile, um, you know, how his game kind of comes about. He hasn't been in college as long. I think if he's in, a, a, in college another year, he looks a lot even more like, you know, with how his jump shot has come along. Um, uh, not quite the defensive prospect, but like adding somebody like that who can do primary things as a lead guard and more importantly, just like bend a defense like that would be um, amazing alongside him. Are you at all worried about the Chris Duarte fit? If that's the pick the Pacers end up going with is Jaden Ivey? Uh, no, I, I'm not. Like, I think Chris is really good playing off the ball. Like obviously you want to see him develop more on the ball too, but I think I'm just in the stage where 
this team needs talent. They need top end talent really bad. Um, and I would not be really too worried about anything on the roster in regards to, you know, how I, I would go about making this pick. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel too, because like everyone that I've got, you know, questions about, well, if you draft Ivy, Duarte doesn't really fit because they're both twos. And I'm like, well, Duarte has actually played quite a bit of, you know, he's guarded a lot of threes this year. Let's just be honest. He can play off the bench. He doesn't have to start. I'm sure he'd like to start, but um, in terms of trying to build a, a really good team, I mean, at this point, you know, I just feel like the ceiling is so much higher for a guy like Ivy and Halliburton versus Duarte. And that's not a knock on him. I just, with him being 24, with Ivy coming in like 20, 20 years old, I think 21 maybe, it's just like, I'm not trying to like age discriminate or anything like that, but I still just feel like talent-wise overall, Halliburton and Ivy are just, they just have a higher ceiling than Duarte. And I'm, I'm not going to let that impact how I go about building my roster because of a guy I already have on my team. Yeah, no, 100%, man. All right, man. So that will wrap up this uh, region here in the West. So, Mark, thanks so much for coming on. And I guess since you kind of already spoiled it with Gonzaga being your winner, do you have any spoilers in this uh, or any upsets in this uh, in this bracket? Yeah, so I have uh, Texas Tech beating Duke in the Sweet 16 and go to the Elite Eight and, and face Gonzaga there. Yeah. Um, other than that, I don't – actually, this is not my spicy bracket. Um, my, my spicy <laughs> bracket is more the East one. I uh, Actually, I'm, I'm picking Wyoming to make it to the Sweet 16, which sounds, uh, sounds ludicrous. But oh, man, I you're believe, just breaking – I believe in Jeff Linder, man. I don't, I don't believe in Sayu team at all. Sorry. But um, <laughs> I've watched them enough this season to know that believing in them would be not smart. So, and no. Well, I'm riding the high hand. I've got IU winning one game, uh, but I don't know how. I don't know if they'll beat St. Mary's. It's a tough one. Um, but yeah, so for for like actual brackets, you know, like I, I tried to like do my best. I, I mean, there's some upset potential here with you know potentially Vermont. I've seen that's a very hot one. Um, I've seen Rutgers be kind of a hot pick over Alabama if they beat Notre Dame. But it, it's always hard to predict these things. I just. I feel like your best bet always to, to really last in those ESPN tournament challenges is just pick the higher seeds because usually after the first couple of weeks, right, it's just like the top teams are usually in the, uh, in the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, and that kind of thing. So um, really fun stuff, though. I mean, obviously everybody has their different opinions, but um, I'm hoping IU proves you wrong, Mark. I, I'm hoping they do. I mean, uh, I hope so, too. I enjoy watching TJD play, and I don't yeah. want it to be his last game yet, but – I yeah I don't I don't see it with this team. Sorry. I mean they played pretty well in the Big Ten tournament, so you're hoping that they can just ride that hot momentum. But you know I, I think for Mike Woodson's first year they've looked pretty good considering the oh, the, the holes in their roster. So, um, but anyway I don't want to get talking about other regions too much yet. So uh, West Region here with Mark Schindler. Mark, where can people find you at on social media? And do you have anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at m schindler nba. Um, I'm a writer over basketball news. I do freelance pretty much everywhere. Um, if you really enjoy my work and, and want to support me, because I'm still not quite uh, paid full-time media, but I am working full-time in it. Uh, I have a Patreon page uh, linked in my Twitter bio. So uh, check me out. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Thanks so much. Awesome stuff there from Mark with the West Region. We're gonna, now going to transition into Derek Murray and his thoughts on the East Region, which has Indiana and Purdue. All right, now we're going to be talking about the East region here of the NCAA tournament in our March on our March Madness preview with Derek Murray, Derek Murray from BasketballNews.com. How's it going, Derek? You doing all right? 
Yes, sir, Alex. I appreciate you having me. I, uh, you know, Selection <laughs> Sunday is always fun, and then talking about prospects always a good day. So, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's just get right into it here because this is a really fun bracket. I feel like here in this quadrant, the east, the eastern, uh, the eastern region here, because there are some teams here that I really like as potential dark horses. Um, not dark horses, but some some underdog maybe. Uh, you know, Baylor being number one, I feel like they are beatable. I do like UCLA at four. Um, Virginia Tech's playing really well. Indiana gets in potentially. They got a playing game against Wyoming. Uh, they've been playing pretty well. They almost took down Iowa, the eventual Big Ten champions. Uh, if Bohannon doesn't hit a game-winning shot, a desperation prayer. Uh, and then, of course, you got you got Purdue, who was in that championship game against Iowa. And then you got Kentucky as well. And Murray State here at the seventh seed. So let's just get right into it. What is your who is your number one player in this region? I think it's easily got to be um, Jaden Ivy there for number three Purdue. I think he's a top three pick um, right now. You know there are a handful of teams that have him number one. I just think he's probably the best player in this in this bracket, kind of bar none at this point. Yeah, and I and I think I heard you talk about this a little bit on one of the Twitter Spaces that I was listening to, but teams don't necessarily view him as a one. Some teams view him as a two. So what is the what is the feedback you've gotten on what position he, he is best suited at and, and how do you think uh, he will translate that into the NBA? I think he's your prototypical, quote, combo guard, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, including myself, I believe that he can give you spot minutes at the one. Um, I'm not a big NBA comparison and like player comp guy. So com to compare anybody to John Morant is hard, although I do see the flashes and I get why somebody would say that and. I'm not going to, like, knock somebody for that. Um, right. I just don't think he's as pure of a point as Morant is. But, again, he can run point for you at times. I think he's at his best for Purdue when they give him the ball at the top of the key and just get out the way. Like, he's so fast. His burst is so powerful, and his first step is so strong. You can't stay in front of him. And then he's strong and incredible and incredibly balanced in the lane as well. So he's going to score at the rim. Um, he's improving and has improved a lot as an off-ball shooter. So I think he can run as your one or a two which, again, that makes his draft stock, in my opinion, so high because you can kind of mold him into whatever you want or just leave it incredibly versatile. He's not stuck in a you know traditional role by any means. Yeah, and I want to transition now into another guard that I think – I don't know if he'll be drafted in the top ten or not there's potential for it, but a guy that I've been intrigued by is Ty Ty Washington from Kentucky. Can you talk to me a little bit about him and, and what exactly you think uh, he can do in this tournament and potentially raise his stock with, uh, with a good turning run? Yeah, Ty Ty, I think, is a guy that has been mislabeled since day one. You know, coming out of high school, he was a point guard. Kentucky started using him as a combo, kind of a two at the beginning of the year with Severe Wheeler coming in there and taking all the point guard minutes. But he's a one. That's what he was at AC Compass. Um, that's what he was going to be at Creighton. That's what he's going to be in the NBA. He's going to be a 6'3 point guard who can facilitate and get his own shot. So I think right now he's comfortably a top 15 pick. I do not see him slipping past that. But he does have a chance to rise with an incredible March Madness run. And, you know, I say that I think we all kind of know the top four has kind of solidified itself as a grouping of its own. In our minds, the next three, so numbers five, six, and seven, are kind of a tier of their own at this point. And then it's just wide open. And I think Ty Ty with a great March has a chance to kind of jump up into that next range, that eight to 12, if you will. Um, right now we have him at uh, 11. So just kind of right in that in that range there. But he does have a chance to go even higher. Yeah, and I think one of the guys that you're talking about in that five to seven range is Shaden Sharp, who we will not see 
in this tournament unless something drastic happens, but I don't, I don't expect him to play, but um, this is a kid that, you know, came to Kentucky the beginning of the second semester. There's pretty much just a big question mark on who he is, what he could be, but I think there's a lot of potential there in him. And I think he's really going to impress in his draft workouts and at the combine, if he does indeed enter the draft. So one, I guess I should ask, do you think he does enter the draft for 2022? And two, what are you, hearing that you can share from from teams that they like about him if i was to guess my bet is that he does enter the draft there are enough teams out there that like him as a sure lottery pick that honestly it's one of those things where you know if my son thinks he can and i don't not a parent so let's not go misconstrue this too much <laughs> if i had a son and i knew that he was going to get some guaranteed money i don't know why you would stay in college and play and that's not a knock to any program in America, but it's like, if I know I can get money, why would I risk coming back and get hurt? And you got to deal with the injury insurance and all that kind of stuff. So I would expect him to leave. Um, I've talked to a couple people, you know, some of them just want to see him work out. They want to see him in a workout. They want to see him in a private workout. Who knows if he'll test. I mean, if he gets a promise for somebody in that, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, maybe even higher range, why would you work out at the combine? I mean, he has a chance to be the ultimate unknown coming into this draft, but there are enough people and I've had enough conversations where teams say, Hey, like we know how talented he is. You know, we've seen the peach jam footage, which for those out there, it's incredible. He, he just absolutely is amazing. And that's the footage that made him shoot to number one in the country in the high school class. So they're intrigued. A lot of people just want to see him work out, kind of get around him and feel him out. But I do expect him to be in the draft. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting because I think a lot of teams could talk themselves into him as a potential guy to go get. And I mean, Honestly, it wouldn't shock me if he cracked the top four just because of all the hype and potential that I've heard from him because anything can happen from now until June. But uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. But uh, let's just let's just continue to go down this uh, down this group of uh, teams here. Um, any other players that you think really stick out and maybe kind of round out your top five? I'm assuming those three guys would probably be in your top five right now. So, yeah, Ivy and Washington clearly start uh, start the top of this list here in this bracket. The other three that I wrote down that I have near the top are Jeremy Sohan and Kendall Brown from Baylor, mm -hmm. as well as Justin Lewis from Marquette. And I'm really excited to see these guys. Uh, I'm going to go down to the regionals down in Dallas or down in Fort Worth, excuse me. Um, and I'm excited to see them. I've seen Sohan and Brown a handful of times. I saw them in Stillwater. I saw them in Norman. I saw them against Villanova when they just absolutely handed it to Villanova down there, sitting on the floor with a bunch of NBA guys. Um, and I love Jeremy Sohan. Man, I'm telling you, we had him kind of late first when I went down and saw him, and he has just been creeping up. He's just so talented. He's so big. He's so young, and he's a really, really smooth athlete, and he just makes it all look easy. You know, Kendall Brown, from both a physical and statistical profile, it's really intriguing. Lob target, potential as a stretch four, incredibly bouncy, much bigger in person than people think he is. Him and Sohan both, actually. I was impressed with how big they were up close. Mm -hmm. And then Justin Lewis, you know, kind of came into the year a little bit quiet, but we have him right now very early second. I think he has a chance to go late first. Um, another one that if he has just a monstrous kind of NCAA tournament, especially on the ball, we could see Lewis rise quite a bit. Yeah. So I, I want to know a little bit more about these two guys from Baylor because I've, I've seen them kind of, I've seen Kendall Brown's usually been higher in mock drafts. Do you think Kendall is still the first one off the board? Or do you think Jeremy uh, is going to end up surpassing him um, off the uh, taking on draft night? Man. So I, I 
think that Kendall will go first. The mm-hmm. draft was tomorrow. I think that Kendall Brown would go first. Um, it's a really difficult gut decision for me, honestly, because Brown's a little more stiff in his movements. And Sohan is just smooth. That's all get out. Like for anybody listening, go watch the tape from Oklahoma State, Baylor at Stillwater. He only made three or four baskets. You know, Oklahoma State was able to win that game. They just had a really rough night. Baylor did. But he had some really nice kind of pull-up, soft fadeaway touch shots in the paint. And a guy at 6'9", who's 18 years old, just shouldn't be able to do those things. Um, and he's a really good defender as well. I think on the ball, Sohan, with proper development, could be an absolute lockdown guy. Like super long arms, already really physical and physically strong. So I think Brown will go first. Um I don't know. I mean, they're right neck and neck. In our new update, they're going to be actually right next to each other. So it'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I've heard this draft, you know, going back a couple of months ago when I started talking about this draft class with other experts and guys that cover the draft. Everyone said this is kind of like a, a mad draft class. It's not nearly what 2023 is cracked to be. But I'm curious, how, how good do you think this draft class is? And do you think there's like legit talent, like top 30, top 40 prospects that you could see in rotations next year for the uh, for the NBA? There are at least through maybe the top 20. I mean, okay. you look at guys like Ochai Agbaji, Marjan Bochamp. Uh, I think those guys, you know, probably get picked in the late lottery, mid-teens. Mm-hmm. I think they can crack a rotation next year. And then you've got guys in the back end of the first, you know, in our new update, what's coming we're going to have guys like Usman Diang, kind of late first, early second. You're going to have Malachi Branham, Wendell Moore Jr. Uh, these are the kind of guys that very early could see some time, may need a year or two. But there's nothing about this year that makes me think, uh, you know, middle of the pack, middle of the road or anything like that talent-wise. Like this is a, in my opinion, this is this is a pretty good draft, even though the true superstar power may stop around four. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and that's that's great to hear because obviously the Pacers have two picks potentially in the top 20, depending on what Cleveland does um, here the rest of the regular season, if they can get healthy and avoid potentially a playing game where they might, you know, miss the playoffs and that pick goes back to them. But assuming that they they make the playoffs, the Pacers get uh, around that 18 to 20 range there with the pick, um, you know, there's some potential there. So do you, do you see anybody – in this in this group of play, a group of teams that could be there for the Pacers around that eighteen to twenty range. Yeah, and there's a couple guys that make sense. You know, what's really interesting is, you know, kind of like we were just talking before the show, the the Halliburton and Buddy Hield trade just really changed things up for me with how I look at the Pacers as far mm-hmm. as a draft profile. You kind of got the guards and and you know some of the shooting now coming in. So I look at wings. And, you know, kind of three, four combos for the Pacers and guys that could be available around that time. Um, there is a world where Sohan slips. Um, you know, he is incredibly talented, but he could make it to the late teens. I think Tari Eason could be there in the late teens. I think you're looking at guys like EJ Liddell, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Um, you kind of get in, into Nikola Jovic territory, mm, which that's my guy. people who are made. Yeah, like he's really, really <laughs> good. He's a point forward. And he's still a young kid, and he is just extraordinarily talented. So, you know, I think Agbaji and you know Agbaji Bochamp would be great fits. I don't see them falling that far. Mm-hmm. So Sohan, maybe a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, Tari Eason, you know, Liddell, Baldwin. That's kind of the grouping that I would look for, at least as of today, kind of that 18 to 20 range. I got you, I got you. So let's get back to this 
bracket here for a little bit. I want to talk about two teams, and uh, I will save Indiana for last. I want to talk about UCA a little bit because UCLA is a team that I, I've seen a lot of people have as a sleeper team potentially to come out of this this group. But so far, there's n- there's not really any first-round picks that are – or first-round draft picks um, prospect-wise on this, on this roster that I've seen in many mock drafts. So – um, anybody on this roster that you know we should keep an eye on, and potentially if they had a good tournament, their their stock could rise. Yeah, I don't think there's any first round picks on uh-huh. UCLA. I think there's a couple early to mid seconds in Juzang and Hakez. Yeah, um, those are the two that stand out for me. You know, Jules Bernard can be a microwave scorer. I don't think he's a draftable guy. Um, and right now, Juzang and Hakez are both in the 40s on what will be our new update by the time this comes out. Uh, so those are guys just as shooters. You know, very different games. But Juzang had a great year last year. I thought he should have come out because I thought his stock was at an all-time high. He is a bona fide shooter. I have questions about the defense. I have questions about what he does on the ball offensively. Yeah. But as far as hitting tough shots and a shot maker, you know, he's some of the he's one of the best in the whole country. So I think he's draftable. Hawkes is interesting. I think he's a 40 to 60, 45 to 60 guy because he's extremely intelligent, good frame, good build, pretty versatile. So yeah. Even though they're not first rounders, those guys kind of lead that team. And yeah, I saw, I think it was Jay Billis just put out his predictions, has them at least in the Elite Eight or something like that. Like there, there are a lot of people high on UCLA going into this. Yeah. And I think, you know, they had a good run last year too. So uh, maybe they built off that momentum and, and moving forward, who knows what could happen. But, um, you know, I like Johnny Juzing. And you're right. Last year, like I was like, like, oh, should the Pacers take him at 13? Like, you know, we had that conversation, like obviously way too high. Um, and I know there's a lot of people that were kind of down on him overall as a prospect last year. But with that being said, you know, I, I really hope that he has a good tournament and maybe he's able to get picked up in the second round and be given an opportunity here in the NBA uh, because I do think there's some talent there. But um, I, I do want to move over to Indiana now because this is a team that barely made the tournament. They're in the last four in here. They got a, a 12 matchup here in Dayton on Tuesday uh, against Wyoming. And Wyoming is a, a team that's a little bit frisky, I think, they could, you know, win this game clearly. But, I mean, Indiana's been playing some of their best basketball. Uh, took Iowa down to the buzzer, like I said earlier, you know, Bohannon hitting that three. So, Trace Jackson Davis, pretty much since that second half against Michigan, the last, you know, the last five halves that he's played, he's looked fantastic. And he was on the Big Ten tournament uh, all-turning team. So, I have not seen him a lot uh, in the top in the top 58 of players that are eligible to be drafted this year. But um, do you do you think that he has improved his stock at all after that Big Ten tournament? It's it's pretty interesting. I had a, some conversations this morning about TJD, and I have long thought that he was probably a fringe to not draftable guy. You know, he's, he hasn't. I don't think he still has not attempted or hit a three in college. Which, if you're going to be a six nine, almost traditional center. That's an issue for me, and it's something I've looked at three years in a row now. Yeah. That being said, his numbers are great. They continue to be great. He continues to lead this team, and when it matters, he sh- he's been showing up. So it wouldn't shock me if he has already played himself into a late second-round pick, and I mean 45 to 50 at the super very earliest, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the family pedigree of NBA players is helpful towards yeah. his case. He is going to be one to monitor, very similar to you know a lot of other bigs in the country. Him and Kofi Coburn, I think, kind of stand out. Non-guaranteed second-round best-case draft stock versus 
what NIL money can I get to stay here and be the guy? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a what of I think that's how college basketball from a draft perspective is being influenced the most is when I've got fringe second round guys who are like, well, if I can make close to a million bucks to stay in school and be the big man on campus, why on earth would I leave and subject myself to a non-guaranteed deal and go and get lost in the G League? And that's where I think TJD will have an interesting kind of decision to make because he may have played himself into something, but you know, any kind of sponsorship deals or whatnot could be good at IU. So that's what I'm going to track. All right. Well, I mean, I'm probably most excited about this uh, bracket because of Purdue, because of um, Indiana having a chance to be in it. And then of course, Kentucky, they've got some interesting players to keep an eye on here for the upcoming draft. And, And then Baylor, of course, as well, you know, being the team that won it last year, and see how they go about finishing it. So um, I have Gonzaga winning it all. I'm just curious if you're if you're okay telling me who you have winning it all as we uh, wrap up this conversation. That'd be awesome. Oh man, I think if I had to go right now, um, shoot, I haven't even tried to do any. My my gut tells me <laughs> Arizona. If, if yeah. Krista will play, if Krista will play, my gut tells me Arizona. I have a hard time not taking them. Um, Gonzaga's probably the favorite. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I'd go with Arizona if I had to pick today. Yeah, I have Arizona losing to Gonzaga in my championship. It's it's always tough. Obviously, you don't want to be over the top with just picking ones all the way through. But um, I did have UCLA upsetting Baylor and getting to the final four out of this quadrant here in my bracket just to be a little bit different. But um, I had Iowa as well uh, in one of the other brackets. So, you know, it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. And I think we're going to have fun watching it. But uh Thanks so much for for joining me for this part of the podcast. You're going to be coming back to talk about the South here on uh, part two of this conversation. But uh, go ahead and tell people where they can find you on social media and uh, plug anything you have that you'd like to plug. Absolutely. So, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at DMurrayHoops. And then any kind of update we're doing, we're going to release an updated big board very soon here on BasketballNews.com with myself and Matt Babcock. We'll start doing mock drafts as soon as the college season is over and we know what freshmen are going to declare. Um, the freshmen kind of having a decision to sign with agents, declare and come back. A lot of guys in that foggy zone don't know what they're doing yet. So that's when we'll start doing the uh, mock drafts. So looking forward to it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. That wraps up part one of our March Madness preview here on Setting the Pace. I want to thank Mark Schindler, Derek Murray, for sharing their insight on this on this tournament and on some of these players. So if you haven't already, make sure you go give them a follow and follow us at Setting the Pace 3 on Twitter, over at Pacers Talk on Instagram, and at Setting the Pace on TikTok and at Facebook. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. My co-host, who is not able to join me for these episodes, he's on his honeymoon, the one only Michael J. Focci. He's at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And we will talk to y'all in part two right after this.